Hello everyone and welcome back. Today we come back with an episode and we uh, refocus the attention for this and next episode on threat modeling that is a little bit um, overlooked sometimes and we discuss with Jeffrey Hill that is, is a good friend and uh, well renowned in the rapid threat modeling world or the threat modeling world and um, we can discuss the application security mafia and uh, we'll we look at uh, effectively different aspect of it, but it's, it's, it's very funny ex episodes. We crack joke all the time and I really hope you enjoy the episode because I had tons of fun recording it. I wish you a very good laugh on the episode with Jeffrey Hill. This is Francesco Cipollone. Enjoy the show. To the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out of the box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we're back on the series of threat modeling. We have the absolute pleasure to have a friend, a personal friend, and an advocate for DevSecOps. Jeff or Geoffrey Hill. <laughs> Only my mother calls me that. <laughs> when you're in trouble, Geoffrey Hill. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Mr. Geoffrey Hill or Jeff for friends uh, on the show. Welcome. Well, thank Welcome, you. Jeff. Thank you very much, Francesco. How's it going? Very, very good. Fantastic. So just for the audience to, to know a little bit about you, Geoffrey is a strong advocate of DevSecOps. He's been working with threat modeling for quite a long time with different teams. And from on the back of it, he started creating an, a, a new application or a new uh, kind of software called Tutamantic, right? Well, do you want to give your, our audience your part into the, kind of your history and, and how did you fail in creating this, this software? Ah, uh, yes. Well, it all started back in the mists of time. <laughs> Uh, someone gave me a, a, a TRS-80 computer. I don't know if you remember any of those things right there. You, if you looked at the computer, it would freeze. It was that bad. But the minute I got this personal computer, I fell in love with, with, with programming. And that was back in, God, I don't know, 1980s, something like that. And so I kind of bounded through. And as I went through a number of years, I jumped into various bits of technology and discovered things. But I never actually graduated university with a computer science degree. I graduated mm -hmm. with a finance degree. I made it into Wall Street. And then I, I kind of inter intersected Wall Street with computers because I learned that then I could create what was called fair value sheets uh, for options on the commodities market. So I was working mm -hmm. in the commodities market at the time. And I was competing with this one guy, this older guy and everything like that. And so I got down there and said, I can beat you. I was 20, 21 years old. So I'm like, I can, I can beat this. I can beat the system. And I took half his customers. And he was pretty pissed off. And he came over to me one day and he said, I remember he came and said, hey, Hill, he's like, I'll give you 10 grand if you give me your software and walk away. Just walk away. Of course, there were a lot of expletives involved in there, too. And, and I thought, I got this guy on the run. And I said, no way. Go, go away. Go to hell. <laughs> and that was, that was pretty dumb because I learned my first major lesson in, in, uh, in cutthroat business 
He turned around and he talked to all the people he knew, which were working on the desks above and calling my floor traders. And he said, hey, this guy, Jeffrey Hill, use me, don't use him. And they all trashed me within, I don't know, a week, I lost all my customers, so practically two thirds of them. So the first lesson is like, old age and treachery always beats youth and skill. <laughs> Now, granted, I, 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 thought, I thought I was... You socially engineered you. <laughs> or, or, all, the, all the people that, that actually were closely. <laughs> so it was interesting because I, I learned how to program in C++ at that point in time. And then I, I kind of built upon that many years afterwards. I kept on building and building and building, hopped out around the world, ended up in London for a while, Australia for a while, went back to uh, San Francisco, time for the book .com to become .bomb, watched the whole thing just fall apart. And then just decided at that point in time, either I could stay in this town or get out of Dodge. And I went to India for six months, kind of cleared wow. my head. And I thought, you know what? If I go hiking in Himalayas, when I come back, the world economy is not going to be out of the toilet. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be clean and free. <laughs> it didn't happen that way because 9-11 happened. And I ended up being stuck in London. Well, I quote unquote That's stuck that. in London. It wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not so bad. I was, I was sleeping on a friend's couch and he said, like, look, man, get off my couch and get a job. And he got me working for a small company called Microsoft. So he got me a job. And I ended up working for eight years in that company. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. but And so I was a developer. And then at one point, he came by to me one day. And he said, look, he said, you're an, app set, or you're an application guy. And you, you've hacked around in the past. I know because we've been friends for a long time. Mm -hmm. We really need to have an application security guy on the team. We're all infrastructure security over in Microsoft, over in Reading. And I said, yeah, sure, I'm in. And so he moved me onto his team. And I became the only AppSec guy in Microsoft Reading for five, six years, something like that. I mean, everybody else was in infrastructure or infrastructure architecture. And that's when I, that's when I started to get to know about threat modeling. And then many times I went out to, uh, to, to Washington State, to Redmond. I met Adam Shostak there. I met a, mother, a bunch of other great guys there. And then Adam and I did several different talks of internal and, and I think one or two external talks we did together. And he just caught, kind of taught me the ropes of everything. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was fascinating. It was, you know, I, I got hooked on it. It's like, I love this concept right here. And then I made the move from there to a small company called Sigital. They were kind of a boutique agency. They pulled my synopsis. And then uh, from Sigital, I, I, I kind of started formulating my more, my more clearly my ideas of threat modeling. Then from there, I went to... Um, God, I worked at Sony for a long time too, over in, in Sweden, and that was that was a lot of fun. Nice. Very strange senses of humor. Uh, and then, and then <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not no offense, to the that, Swedish but... guy listening to no, no, us. No, 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 no offense, but I mean, he, this this guy, this guy, he had he had a way of playing tricks on me that uh, you know you come into work and you didn't know if you were going to get pranked or not, <laughs> and you were in a workplace, and it's like you know you're constantly you're on edge in a way, you know, it's like. It's almost like somebody jumped me out of a closet, that kind of thing, but not not that insane. But anyways, um, it was it made for it made for a very, very relaxed work environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 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 that was that was all fun, and that was good. And then I started to formulate more ideas about strategic stuff, which mm -hmm. kind of dovetailed into what they did was was BSIM, and then OWASP, as you know, has SAM, OpenSAM, yeah. or, or SAM is called now. And so I got a lot of great ideas from that too about maturity and, and stuff and dovetail those into the ideas of threat modeling. All of that kind of pulled together. I finally left and started doing my own thing, worked at Visa for about four years doing my own thing. And now finally I'm at, at the LME contracting for them, helping them out, helping to spin up their DevSecOps platform, which they didn't have beforehand. And I'm pulling together all this information from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. It's, it's like, a, oh, 
Oh God, it's brilliant. I, I, you know, I, I think last year when I first joined, I said, you really should think about pulling all your build tools out of, out of production, the production environment. And they said, ah, we'll deal with it later. And then earlier this year, they said, hey, we really want to start plugging things into production. And of course, InfoSec went berserk and said, you're not going to do that. You're not going to be pushing commands into production. And they said, why not? And I, was, I was like, yeah, I was like, and I kind of went, oh, I did the whole Captain Kirk thing, whatever, like head in hands. And I said, I told you guys about this like a year ago. And we finally got it done. And finally, like uh, with everyone kind of screaming around and the fact that they were putting, they're doing secrets management in production, they said, gee, it might be a good idea if we pull these all out and put it into a separate zone. Yeah, that might be a great idea. And that's been, that's been like, that's been consuming a huge amount. But finally get the, the strategy right is, I'm happy about that because I think it's one of the few times where a company's actually listened to me and said, yeah, that actually is not a bad idea. You know, previous companies, and I won't name them, but previous companies kind of said, that's a great idea, but you know what? We're not going to do it. We'll just build upon all the crap we have now. It's like, and they build upon this thing. And then they say, gee, I wonder why it doesn't work. So, you know, I thank God for small things, I guess. But the, but the benefit of it is, is that now I've been working for the last few years and kind of pulling together my rapid threat model prototyping concept because I wanted some way of doing prototyping very fast by hand that I could open source to people and that I could actually literally get out there and on a piece of paper, do a threat modeling sketch or exercise mm -hmm. that would get it gets 80% of the way there. And we're testing that right now live at LME and it's quite successful. We've been testing it at the previous few places I've worked. And uh, also I'm, I'm happy to say the BBC has picked up on the RTMP too, which is fantastic. I mean, they're, they're, they're advocates are strong advocates of it uh, amongst other companies too, but um, good stuff. Good stuff. I mean, so, Finally, out of all that right there, I've decided I'm going to automate. I'd like to try to hand it automating threat modeling, taking all the weaknesses that I saw and kind of pushing those through and getting rid of all the mundane tasks that we have. And that's why I created Tutomantic was to, to get the automation process, make it a SaaS product, make it you know, an endpoint, that kind of thing. Put your data up there, get your data back, and boom, you've got a threat model built in. And you can put anything up there as long as you can serialize it. So yeah. any design up there. It's always, it's always so challenging for threat modeling because it's, it's always, I've always seen it as a very, very one-notching thing. And as you rightfully said, if you do it, uh, rapid threat modeling is great because people will not perceive it as extremely cumbersome, the architect yeah. will need to do it and so forth. And I think that that's oh. the challenge that I've always seen in threat modeling with developers. Nah, that's an architectural thing. I don't have to worry yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. And, and the architects, you know, architects go like I don't really have the time for that. Yeah. It's like, I got to do all this stuff right here. And, and then you're like, well, who's going to do it? And then we're kind of points at you and you said like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I mean, and so, so one of the worst things about doing threat modeling was that you get a situation where they say, we want you to do a DFD threat model. And then you've got the architectural diagram right there. And then some guy out there starts changing the architectural diagram about halfway through. And you're like, I don't have any time to change this over here. Ah, and also your threat model kind of goes right. And the other diagram goes left. And you know you have this huge divergence, and it's like somebody looks at it like months later and says, "What the hell is this? Oh, it's a threat model of the X Y Z system." And they're like, oh, "It's not version zero. Version zero. While the, yeah, the version... system is version 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it has nothing to do with reality. Uh, and then also the other fact that people would start making stuff out of thin air. Like I can I can cannot tell you the number of times you get together a bunch of people in a room, you get a whiteboard, and you say, "Let's do a threat model," and then everyone starts arguing about the threats. And you're like, wait, we're not here to discuss the threats. We're here to find, the, we're here to find a solution. You know, we're here to find the mitigations. 
they're like, ah, like that. And everyone's like screaming, ranting, raving. And at the end of the day, they're all pissed off at each other. You're kind of like, well, we didn't get much done, did we? Thanks. But I actually, so, on, the, on that subject, well, Stride and, and Red forms a good, come on, it forms a good guideline of, okay, here's yeah. a bunch of possible things. At, at least it narrows down because otherwise, uh, yeah. all the threat model that I've done is, okay, let's consider alien coming. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, coming let's, down let's on Earth. Let's, let's, let's make a threat model of black swan attacks. Yeah, that would be genius. That would take up a great amount of my time. Let's, you know, any, anything like, oh, well, you know, what if, what if we rebuilt the Titanic, named it T Titanic 2, and we put all of our servers on the Titanic 2, and we sailed it, I'm like, that's not going to happen, you know, and they're like, but, but it could, and so, so you're right, you're right, at, at least with, like, Stride, what it does, what I love about Stride, I used to not like Stride, and then I kind of like, eh, it's, it's actually not that bad, Stride is easy to teach, six elements, it's also, yeah, it exactly. takes, essentially, it takes, yeah, it takes a CWE, which has got thousands of elements, and distills it down to six, it takes the OWASP top 10 and maps to it. And that's what I do a lot of times when I teach, when I teach threat modeling is I teach people, how do you map it to OWASP top 10? How do you map it to CWE? How do you map it to CAPEC? How do you map it to the attack kill chain to attack? And then they get the idea of how well it works with everything. If you do stride on something, you can immediately integrate it with tons of different other frameworks, which yeah. I really like. Dread is interesting because even Microsoft doesn't use Dread anymore. And Dread's, a, Dread's like a, a form of risk, like risk analysis. And, there are many different ways of doing it. And what the problem that I always had with Dread was that Dread said, like, we want you to have, uh, was it five different elements? And we want you to do a measure of like zero to 10 on each one. Mm -hmm. And everyone started arguing like, well, I want what's it to zero? be a six. What's 10? Yeah. <laughs> I, want it to be, I want it to be an eight. It's like, what the hell's the difference? What's the difference between a six and a seven? I have no idea. And so people were arguing about it. And initially I said, oh, that's, this sucks, man, because I can't teach this to anybody. Mm -hmm. So I initially, initially made it a binary thing. Either you see it or you don't. Either, like, you know. Zero think, and uh, one? Yeah, yeah. So like R is, I think, of Dread is, I think, reproducibility. Is it reproducible or not? And they're like, eh, maybe it is or not. And even that was kind of difficult, but at least I got somewhere with it. Mm -hmm. I got something. It's like I got a, between a zero and five end result. And I could use that. And it was relatively simple to push out. Eventually, I just stopped using it because I started using other things, such as uh, I started looking at the threat model flows themselves. I started looking at the, the trust zones and saying, okay, look, if you're going up in the trust zones, obviously, it's going to be a bit more risky. Thank you. If you're, yeah, exactly. Uh, look at the attack kill chain. If you're looking at the higher levels of the attack kill chain, like if you actually can gain access, that's obviously a lot more dangerous than if you're just doing recon. But on, on, on the kill chain, I have a little bit of a beef on the kill chain because it goes back to that CWE that is like, you can consider potentially this everything. It's like a library of everything on earth that you could consider. And it's yeah. great, but then people get lost in it. They do, they do. I, I, get, I, I get longer tell <laughs> I was I was in upside Cali, I was like really debating if I was I had a safe slide on CW and I said it's gonna take me probably between I don't know 20 to 30 minutes just to explain the formula and explain the idea behind it. Yep. I'll drop the slide. I dropped it CW. <laughs> and I it's know, like there's, there's no magic way to show it. Yeah, there's there's no magic no. way to show it. Like, you know, it's like this is a CW, and they're like, that's a bunch of lines on a screen. Thanks. Okay, you can't you can't graphically show it that easily. I no. mean, it's a great concept. Don't get me wrong. I love the concept. I love the idea. And you're right. It's very difficult, like, to get out there and say, "Let's train you in the CW," because you can get lost, completely lost in it. Get lost in the minutiae of details. It's got a tremendous amount of information in it. So sometimes I abstract it away and I say, "Okay, look, guys, if you've never done this beforehand, let's start with the OWASP top ten. 
Yeah. And the OS top 10 is a bunch of good information. Let's now, now let's make the relationship between stride and the OS top 10. Good. Now you have a, two sets of frameworks that you can use that are fairly useful. Uh, and inside of stride, you have C, uh, CIA. So that works well. And then you have, now you have three, you know, three, three combinations. You're like, you don't need, you don't need more than that. You don't need no. more than that up no. to the point where you really mature and when you actually have data, you can gather data yeah. from uh, tools from statistics where it gives you the probability. So in the first episode, we were actually discussing with Andrew Peterson from Signal Science, if we gather data from uh, real data from production and mm -hmm. say, that's going to give you the impact or the probability of certain things happening. So if you get yeah. hit over and over and over by, I don't know, a uh, buffer overflow or by, I don't know, cross, cross request forgery or things like yeah. that, they need to be bumped up in your threat modeling because people will keep on attacking you with that stuff. And yeah. And, and you can get that information also from other public instances on the, like the attack, the attack, uh, ATT and symbol CK by MITRE is an mm. actual matrix of real live attacks. And you can get some of the information from that too. So you're totally correct. I mean, like in a lot of ways you can use dark trace, dark trace, like uh, information that comes out of there canary. or canary. And you can say, look, we're going to get this actual live information. We'll come back and we'll say, here are the actual vectors. Here's what they're using. Now let's take a look and map that back to the threat modeling. That's our, that's our probability vector right there. Yeah, those are a set of probability vectors. And I would and, and I wouldn't go even put further than that because that's no. that's simple, real, practical, and that's it's it. Reusable, yeah, absolutely. It's reusable, and also it fits the Pareto principle: twenty percent effort gives you eighty percent of the value. Sure. And that's how, that's kind of the, the rapid threat model prototype is the same kind of concept: twenty percent effort gives you eighty percent of the value, and you iterate beyond that. If you want to tighten up to ninety percent you know, fill your boots, be my guest, then you can have to do a couple iterations, have fun. So, so one of the things that was interesting that I brought up then and that I'm introducing into not, not so much RTMP, but into my software is a probability analysis, basically, basically like Monte Carlo analysis. And uh, in, in addition from the commodities markets, I don't know if you're familiar with something called the Black and Scholes uh, options model. What it does, it figures out what a, what an options uh, what an option should be valued at, given the fact that the market's going up and down, so the volatility of the market, what interest rates are, how time, how much time is left in the market, and it fills out a whole bunch of things that says this is what the value of said option should be. I use that to compute what the negative value or the cost of fixing issues was. So I and I did this when I was at Microsoft. So I said, okay, look, the longer you have any issue out there, mm -hmm. then the more cost is going to become to fix that. And then what it did is it allowed me to turn around and say to people, well, this is before they said a whole shift, shift left, you know, you must shift left, which is a whole marketing thing. It's way before that. And I said, look, guys, if you do your, if you do proper threat modeling, then and you find issues during the threat modeling stage, then you're effectively cutting off a huge cost of, of finding that thing. Yeah. So there, there, there are two situations that come from that. First of all, it's time to time to life. The longer that exists, then the more it's going to cost because more people are going to get involved in fixing it. And second of all, dependencies. And that's a big one. I don't think people, enough people talk about this. The longer that code stays live or in a system, the more people will write dependencies against it. Yeah. And the more difficult it is to fix it. The complexity. I'm, I'm, you know, exactly. And, and I say this to everybody. I say, look, you want to find this stuff early on. You want to find it fast. And that's why if you find the flaw in it, that's, more, that's much better. And I have, I think I have a statistic that I use uh, at every presentation or at every pitch that probably it takes you 30, 30, 
times the cost to fix something closer to production because of the dependency, yes. because of the interlink, rather than 1% uh, or, or 1x while doing the code or while effectively designing it. Yeah, while well, designing it, I mean, all you're doing is you're like, you and I are designing something. You know, I lean over and I nudge you on his shoulder and say, hey, Francesco, what do you think we change it? You're like, yeah, yeah, we change it like that. Boom. It takes maybe 15, 20 minutes of our time. Get a bunch of developers involved. Now all Testing, of a sudden they have to, like, QA. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got developers, you got a scrum master, you got some guy hanging over there. They've got, they've got time that they've got to do this stuff and they make a mistake and you go back and say, you got to fix it. Now they got to drop whatever they're doing. They got to drop tools, go back and fix this, which means they're not working on what they're supposed to be working. They're working on fixing the issue. Then you get pulled into it because you got to tell them. So now it's your time, their time and the scrum master's time. Add the testers. You got a whole bunch of other people. Hey, it's a party. <laughs> then you go to production. You know what I mean? You go to production. It's like a bunch of dependencies. And now people are busting over to you and saying like, hey, are you sure you should be changing this stuff? It might break everything in our entire like system. Like, uh, I, had, I had that problem. Like, so I had, I had a fight that I recently lost at a, at a company. And I was saying to them, look, we're in the design stages. We do not want to be using SHA-512 to hash up our passwords. We don't want to do it. We have slow, slow hashing algorithms. Think of bcrypt. Think of scrypt. Something like that. Think of Argon too. And they went, we went back and forth with them. I lost the battle. They said, ah, SHA-512 should be fine enough. I mean, it's a lot, very large and I'm like, blah, 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 like that. And then a little while afterwards, they started developing everything. Dependencies started building up on it. And then all of a sudden it came out that uh, they shouldn't be using SHA-512 and they tried to fix it. Yeah, uh, you know, okay. Can I just say, have you ever seen a massive car wreck in a race car, you know, racing like Formula One? Everybody fighting up. Every, it's something like that, yeah. And then, and like everyone's walking away, kind of going dazed, like, "What the hell just happened?" Well, hey, I could have told you that, you know. So you could have fixed that of... specific screw <laughs> that prevented the wheel yeah. to go out and kill everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See the screw right here? You missed it, didn't you? Huh? Huh? Yeah. So I, I, I do like I do. It's funny because I think that the thing that sets me apart from all the new kids coming into uh, security is just my experience because they're probably smarter than I am. You know, there are tons of really smart guys out there. It's just the only, the only reason that like sets us apart, you and I apart is, is the fact that we've been around the block. We see things blow up on us and we've learned how to fix them or learn how we to have, We have imprinted like probability in our brain so we can yes. immediately judge, uh, with a split second saying that is actually never going to happen or that mm -hmm. is actually yeah. more probable. And that's like yeah. a split second that is worth so much more because you put a person that does analysis. I mean, maybe you put a junior that does analysis for two weeks and we take a decision yeah. in, I don't know, a split second, a minute. Yeah. We can look at exactly. We can look at it. We say like, that's not a good idea. Yeah. And I'll say, <laughs> why not? You're like, I don't think so. Why not? Well, you kind of, you kind of feel like the old man sitting like, you know, rocking chair. You're like, well, back in the day, back in the day, we tried to implement TLS, uh, we, we put an SSL V3 is a really bad idea. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, all right. You know, I, I'm just waiting. One of these days, I'm just waiting for someone to turn around and say, to say to me, like, you know, there's a, a, a denigrating thing they say over in the record. They say, it's turning and go, okay, boomer, whatever. Like that. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone to say that to me in security. Go like, yeah, okay, boomer. Ah, hey, sir, I told you so. Hey, you know, like, I don't know. At but, that but point, a magical rocking chair appears and yeah. <laughs> telling tell about security. Cup of coffee, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, just at it again, let him go. <laughs> hey, Francesco here. 
a very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. But actually, maybe maybe it's it's worth to spend some time on on uh, nailing down actually the probability of certain things in threat modeling, and showing yeah. the benefit. Because as soon as an organization value the benefit of threat modeling or see the actual effect that mm-hmm. actually makes sense, then everybody oh, yeah. takes takes on it. It's like the first exercise of threat modeling. It's like PCP and DR. The first tabletop exercise take the organization years to actually put it in place. When they see actually yeah. the value of it. Massive difference. Oh, I got to tell you. So I, I did, I did it. There was a particular project that I was on, and uh, the guy beforehand was very skeptical. The project manager was very skeptical. And I said, "Look, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn you into a convert." And he said to me, "Look, man," he said, "Every time we've done pen tests on this, we have thousands of pen tests. You know, thousands of issues coming out there, high, medium, and low." He's like, "All right, go ahead, convince me." So we sat down there before we did the whole thing. We did a number of threat modeling sessions, and then we did integrated uh, code review, and then we did. We basically did in-sprint testing to kind of scoop up the rest of the issues. So I took the results of the threat model. I said, look, all these threats right here, let's create test cases. All these mitigations, we're going to book, make this into the code. When we finally did the external pen test for it, it was 90% lower. We had three mediums and one low. And he said, normally, he'd have about four or five highs, about 30 or 40, uh, sorry, four or five criticals, 30 or 40 highs, and a bunch of mediums and a bunch of lows. We had three mediums and one low. And that that's amazing statistic for shift left yeah. or any other exactly. tool, or, or, or practical practical security I, I, call yeah. it, I usually call it practical security rather than well I, I like shift left because it gives you the idea of shifting security left but it's pragmatic yeah. and practical security when you insert a small element of security in the design phase with the threat modeling rationalizing controls and then testing as result of effectively threat yes. modeling and marrying it these days, marrying it in with the concept of agile architecture means that you can do this rapidly and you can do iterations of it. And so incremental. you don't have yeah. to be. Yes. And the thing that people make a mistake about threat modeling is they say, we've got to get it right on the first time. It's got to tell the whole story. I'm like, no, it does not. The position change. And yes, and iterate. And each time you go through the next sprint, iterate, redress it, iterate and iterate. And eventually you'll come to the, you know, at the same time they're building out the code, you're coming to a more solid threat model and everything dovetails together. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, I gotta tell you. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. <laughs> when you see the you thing happen- bit too- Oh yeah, I, I, I get I get kind of enthusiastic about it when I see. So for example, we just had a thing at, at the LME where I finally managed to convince them. I, I haven't gotten them to get security champions yet, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm inching my way forward to that. So what I did was I, we changed our JIRA ticket, our JIRA workflow, so that every one of the stories that they create, that the, that the, t- the development teams create, they create a subtask that is, a stride analysis that they have to do a stride analysis on this on the story itself so you know the story is like you know as as a was it as a president i have to suppress the (laughs) suppress the 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 rioters 
by throwing in the federal. No, no. Okay. Anyways, that's it. That's it. It is a huge story bad joke about America <laughs> and Trump. Yeah, it's a very bad use story. So, but but they'll have a user story, and essentially what you'll do is you'll find out from it authorization and access control, identity, and you'll find out from where you need to validate things mm -hmm. just from the story name itself. So by having the team have a sub a sub story, that sub story a subtask that subtask has to get completed before they can close off the task or the story, and it gets automatically generated as part of the Jira workflow. So I gave them three questions per stride element to, to answer. And then when they finish with that, then they can, they can click it off once I do a review. But it doesn't stop them from doing through for the story. What it does is it forces them to kind of think through, like, hmm, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should mm -hmm. do that. And then I say, if you need my help, contact me. I'll jump in on your, on your meetings. Uh, one of the things I found was it gets way too crazy if I, if I try to attend all the stand-ups all at once. I can't do that. There's yeah, only one not... of me. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I'm, that's a I'm challenge. on demand. It is. Well, I, I, I am, demand. I'm, 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 I'm an on-demand resource. I'm a Jeff. Is a, Jeff is a service, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> concerning the fact that we don't have any security champions, that's how I kind of operate. And I said, look, guys, if you don't need me, if you can work it through yourself, work it through yourself. Here's a bunch of different things. If you need me, first contact me on a band. If you need me to jump in, I'll jump into the meeting, and I do that now. But don't contact me at the last minute, please. If you pull me in and you guys are about to go, you know, you're about to finish up with your friend and you ask me for help on a security thing, it's the wrong time to call me in. At the beginning, when you have questions, is the right time. Yeah. So I haven't gotten them to do uh, threat modeling yet. I'm still doing the threat modeling. But to do stride analysis on every one of the stories is a good start because I'm, I'm literally embedding that concept into every one of the, the stories to go forward with. No, and that's great. But where I saw that, I, I saw I introduced a similar concept with one of my clients. But of course, the development field was like uh, around seven thousand people, and introduced a massive delay. So they actually see more value in testing and going back rather than doing the threat modeling at the first hand because it slow all the use stories down. While the testing phase, they don't. So I think. As you have experience, application security is different for every organization. Everybody finds that right kind of balance that says, this yeah. is yes, this is no. And, and you kind of pick and cherry. Ultimately, is about to us to, to, to achieve the ultimate result that is security of, of software. So you like testing, yep. go for it. You like, <laughs> can you do that in, in, in uh, Jira? Can you do that yeah. advanced even better? But every organization is different, I guess. Hey, I got to tell you something though. Uh, application security is becoming sexy again. It is. I'm reading more. I'm reading more articles. I know it sounds kind of funny, but I'm reading more articles. It's that, saying like, you know, it's you a niche. doing application security. It it's is a niche. niche. It's a niche yeah. and vendors have not yet attacked it. And we are attacking it slowly, but surely. Uh, it's become, it's, it's going back in trendy. I think uh, the recently signal science Sneak and Sonotype have been uh, kind of nailed as the next big boom company. So anybody that works on open source stuff, open source library, or anybody that works in application security is going to be earning a decent buck. <laughs> That's it. Yes, yes. That's what it is. Right? And it's because everything is shifting to the cloud. So the majority of stuff is turning into a code, into code. You don't everything even have- Everything is turning into code. Yeah. yeah. If, even mean, infrastructure is code. Yeah. Yeah, uh, networks is code, infrastructure is code, uh, code is code, yeah. but and, and then they have metacode stuff. Like you have all the Ansible towers and everything like that where it's configuration is code. 
everything's turning into code and it's all being put into repositories which you can track everything which is right. from our perspective which is it's fantastic because we can now track we can say like we know exactly who did the changes and we can reject those changes at the pull request it puts a lot of a lot more control in our hands to actually outright reject something saying like no 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 that code is not getting into that it's not getting into main sorry guys that's not getting into master not today but that, that, that requires code scanning. And, and uh, yeah. luckily enough, we've seen a massive shift on code scanning with a lot of new company now introducing yes. code scanning with incremental because I was always a very big fan of full-blown full scan because it gives me yeah. the best result and the more consistent result. But we have a bunch of new companies that are doing incremental scan that actually works and they're fast enough. So sometimes you can achieve potentially better result with incremental scan rather than, you know, yeah the full blow scan. Oh, exactly, exactly, because it's faster. And then the other thing that's very cool about this, I mean, because it comes in both in semantic and also it comes in source to sync are the two different kind of concepts. But the one thing I love about this, and you, and you brought this up, is like the whole, there are a whole bunch of new kids on the block mm -hmm. and they're challenging the leaders, they're challenging your fortifies, they're challenging your varicodes, which I've used almost all the tools right there. And, and, and listen, as tools, they're, they're great at what they do. The problem is they produce a lot of false positives, a lot of white noise, and they're not adaptive to DevOps or not but as easily the, adaptive. On the other side, what I keep on saying, use the tool as a tool. Don't expect the tool to give you the best result. Maybe yes. there will be another tool further down, but ultimately you can't expect the tool to do your job. Otherwise, as a developer or as, or as a security person, we can be replaced. We can't be replaced because we, we need to take that element, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> we can't be replaced. <laughs> But we, we apply the logic, we apply the logic yeah. and we apply the best translation of a few bunch of data to how best effective can we implement? What is the sequence of patching? What is the sequence of upgrade? And we see upgrade? the patterns. Exactly. Yeah, we see, yeah, we see the patterns that these, that these and, I, and I, I, can, I don't see it in the near future. We see a lot of AI happening like that, but I still don't see AI coming up to the point where it sees the overall patterns that human beings can get immediately. Here's an example. Uh, could you ever simulate this, Francesco? It's like, you know how you picked up a book and you've read through a book and you finish the book and at one point you're like, you know what? I remember there was something to do with something, but I can't remember what that something is. I can't remember what the something is, but if I flip through the book, I'll find it. Yes. And you do. Try imagine, imagine trying to put that in fuzzy logic. How can you <laughs> try to do that? Uh, try yeah. AI doing that. <laughs> if something equals something, it, it, you know, I don't know how you do it with AI. I really don't, but we are we're able to do that still. And that's why we're able to look at these things and map together. We can see something, we can say like, you know what? These things look innocuous, but actually combined together, they, they, they lead up to a very, very potent attack potentially. Mm -hmm. And we can see this all of a sudden. Like and that's experience. And that, that's, yes. that's, and that's use the tool to actually take away all the heavy lifting stuff and then yes. take the report and say, yes, no, yes, no, uh, false positive, probable, let's do this. Let's implement yeah. this, this, and this. And that's, that's the value of, of the security champion, as you just said, looking at the report, having combining the experience of different team and saying, this, this, this could hurt us yeah. guy. We need to fix it first. Or this actually, exactly. and this is actually on the front end. So network yeah. location or other stuff that could bump up or down the impact or the probability. Ultimately is the human aspect of application security evaluate either the impact on, on the organization because knows the organization as a whole or the probability yeah. of something happening or both. Well, and, and exactly. So, so one of the things you want, the, you want the, the security champion to be good at doing triage, 
which mm -hmm. they probably are going to be because because they're going to be a senior member of the team. So they're probably experienced in doing triage during this pre-sprint sessions anyways. So you want them to be good at doing triage for security issues. How do they go about like get them to do some tactics of how do they get the, the, you know, the issues back in so that people are constantly fixing issues? You know, there's something when you were talking about, about beforehand about like, you know, don't expect the tools going to do everything. And there's that terms like uh, a good carpenter never blames his tools. <laughs> and it's true with us, isn't it? It yes, is true. It's I like, agree. you know, if we sit there and go like, ah, well, the reason I missed all this stuff is because Fortify was screwing up or Verico was screwing up. It's like, no, you were the one running it. Okay. It's like, it's like a race car driver blaming his car. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. You were the one driving the damn thing. So don't give me that, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So no. it's, it's true though. It's like, we, we interpret the end result and we interpret what comes out. And that's how, that's what, that's what brings. And that's why we're always going to be necessary in that, in that chain is we're always going to need to have at some point in time, there's going to need to have a big red button or possibility of the big red button in a, in a DevOps or CICD environment. Um, and I'm not saying you always use it, but I'm saying that it should be available in case you're like, Oh God, you know, we don't want this bad. Okay. We don't want this to come through. Security said and, no button. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, of course, you know, if you want to be more bribable, it's a security said, well, I'll think about it. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, no, there is a fix uh, to that. It's just going to cost you money. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Oh, you oh, can no, stop yeah. for the, oh, you oh, can stop oh. deploying it. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a favorite, actually, I've got a fantastic retort for that. It's like, everyone looks at you in the meeting, you go, hmm, and you start stroking your beard. And that's when that's they why, know. That's why oh, you like, grow the beard. Yeah. Yes, and that's, that's when you know, uh-oh, this is going to cost us a lot of money, isn't it? And you're like, yes, it is. <laughs> there is an option, <laughs> but I'm going to ask a lot of favors. But it's going to, it's, let's just say it's going to cost you a bit more. <laughs> yeah. You need to turn up with a cat, stroking the cat. <laughs> Ah, yes. Here you go. Mafia and, and application security. And we, we close up, we close on that. <laughs> I think, I think we've got a winner here, Francesco. I think we got a winner. <laughs> application security mafia. And we were saying that it's becoming popular. <laughs> like, was it the, uh, the, the, the Coda Nostra? Yes. <laughs> sorry. I, sorry. That was bad. My, oh, my fault. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, it was an absolute pleasure, Jeff, uh, or Jeffrey, Mr. Jeffrey Hill. <laughs> oh, 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 I've done something bad. Uh oh. No, it was an absolute pleasure, uh, as always. But before we close off, can, mm -hmm. uh, aside from the application security mafia, can we give <laughs> a, a good and positive side um, idea on application security or just the, the industry in general? What, what's your feeling? A good message on cybersecurity. That's our tradition to close. Yeah, I mean, I you know what I think is I, I I would love to see more people get involved in cybersecurity at the university level, even down at the high school level. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love I'd love to see them. I'd love to see like I've I've been trying my best to get out there and to infiltrate into universities and to do lectures and guest lectures and everything like that, and also then to talk at high schools and to get the interest up there. And the reason I say get the interest up there is because we need the new blood. Mm -hmm. We do. And we need and we need that influx of new people coming in. And I think to me, it's a fascinating subject. It really is because we like to think of what cybersecurity does. It ranges all the way from the mundane potentially, which is like fixing different elements on a on a network or a code or like that, all the way out to nation states attacking each other. You know what you and I were like hypothesizing about five six years ago is actually now in real life or even COVID. Where, yes, 
And where else can you go where Hollywood fetishes you? Like, <laughs> seriously, think about it. I've never True. known any other situation. We're geeks. We're not, we're not that dramatic. But then if you look at different things in Hollywood, it's like, wow, man, I'm not just a geek. I'm awesome. You know, I, they've got all these different movies where you're like, uh, there was a movie called Sneakers done in the 1990s, Robert Redford. Yes. They had this one scene where they're trying to stay one hop ahead of the bad guys who are trying to cut into their secret line. At one point, the favorite line was, they're in Istanbul. They're five seconds away. Oh, my God. He was like, what? I didn't understand what it meant, but it sounded so cool, you know? <laughs> well, there is also so, the bad joke about the hacker of press control accounts. <laughs> and you're in. Yeah. And then press R and then press P. And you're in. You're a hacker man. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Or no, the wonderful one I love, and I can finish on this, is, is, is it does provide some comedy. There's a movie, uh, what was what was the movie, John Travolta, or he was a super hacker. And and it had it had uh, the Australian actor who played uh, Wolverine. Anyways, I, I, Hugh Jackman. Most, Hugh Jackman, yes, yes. Anyways, there was one scene when when John Travolta turned to him, to Hugh Jackman's character, who's supposed to be a super hacker also, which is a bit of a leap of faith. And John Travolta said, well, you just got to pop a hole in the firewall and drop a multi-headed hydra on it. And I, I remember watching this with a couple of my friends who were in the, in the industry. Say, and they went, what? what? <laughs> a multi-headed, what? Well, it turns out years afterwards, some people, some people did an exploit called the multi-headed hydra and did it on a Cisco system, I think, or something like that. Was like, you know, we do have a sense of humor in the, in the security industry. We do, we do. Yeah. Also Swordfish, that's the name of the movie, Swordfish. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Or also exploiting yeah. the DNS very old protocol with a very trivial things, but yes, and, and yes. taking the, and taking down half of the internet. <laughs> we have yes, a sense yes. of humor. <laughs> it's just a bit dark at times, but it's a sense of humor. So I guess, I guess the message, the message to all the kids who want to join up and want to become cybersecurity people. Hey man, look at what Hollywood does for us. You too can become a superstar. <laughs> just don't do those things that Hollywood tells yeah, you. Yeah. Just, just yeah, <laughs> be a good guy. Wear the wear the white hat, not the black hat. Unless it pays more, of course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeff, absolute pleasure to have you on. And thank you very much. Probably probably we're gonna finish the discussion on application security in some other episode. But uh, thank you everybody <laughs> for listening. I will rumble about and uh, rant about application security cyber. This is your host, Francesco. <laughs> we had Jeff on the show and. Stay safe and do your threat modeling. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>